Blog Talk Radio. sick again, but now I'm feeling a lot better. Um, I'm your host and friend, Reverend Sharma McKean, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created just to focus on the tenet that Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible 
I found by the trash can, and you know that story. And you may use any Bible you wish. Um, I have had many spiritual experiences and in gratitude. We have ongoing Bible readings, and I'm just focused on being my real self and just carrying the message given to me and just reading the Bible and trying to learn more. Um, Sacred Sunday airs every Sunday at 11 Pacific Standard Time. I hope unless some, something intervenes. Anyway, the opening music was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Native Angels by Save. If you want to order a copy, contact Savi.org. They're on Facebook. They do live shows. And you can listen to them for free on YouTube. And uh, you can get your, the CD from uh, Amazon. That's where I got my CD. Anyway, let's do our opening prayer. And let's say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, God so much. We pray for all the Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedom to worship and lives are in great jeopardy, and you would think in these times that We'd be over things like this, but no, there's persecution to the end. And they have become martyrs. That's what we believe, that these holy people that are uh, killed will continue to live on with Jesus and pray for us. We pray for all those suffering from violence here and abroad. We pray for those who are lonely and uncomforted, who are sick in mind and body. We ask God to forgive us for our sins. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in their own homes. We pray for freedom from addiction of all kinds. We also please God, send your mighty angel, Archangel Michael, to fight against evil and protect everyone, and all the angels to watch over everyone when they're called. Our prayers also go out to all those who suffer in the world, including the animals that can't speak for themselves, and then people and babies and all them that can't speak for themselves. We ask... And, and we also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of the policymakers. There's a big changeover in America right now. We ask God for you to help us. They have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all countries for problems of suffering all over the world. Thank you, God. We ask this Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care and actually follow his path and be in his likeness. And we hope to begin to understand what's going on in our lives. We want to thank you, Jesus and God, for everything you have given us. Our health return, return our homes to us, put food in our mouths. We appreciate everything you've given us, God. And we ask you in Jesus' name to just look upon us personally, God, and shelter us under your wing and help us learn what we must learn and help us to cope with what's going on in the modern community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's see. I wish you a happy birthday to everybody whose birthday is today. My son's was back on the 10th. I wish you a happy birthday, Micah. And uh, God bless and love to everybody who's sharing a birthday today. And if you like to me to wish anybody happy birthday or anniversary in my announcements, let me know. And um, let's see. Today, we're having our Bible study, but, you know, we've 
finished uh, Hebrews. Now we're on to First Peter, the first chapter summary. And uh, the title here is For Pete's Sake. This letter is from Peter. And I want to read the notes that are in the front of the Ryrie Bible. And uh, he has very good notes here. Introduction. This, the letter is addressed to aliens scattered or literally the sojourners of a dispersion. These were Christians who, like Israel of old, were scattered throughout the world. To the readers of this epistle were predominantly the Gentile rather than the Jewish background. Their situation was one of suffering and trial, but not because of the empire-wide ban on Christianity, since the, that came later. The sufferings referred to are those that often come to Christians as they live faithfully in a pagan and hostile society. Persecution took the form of slander, riots, total police action, and social ostracization. The readers are encouraged to rejoice and live above such reproach. And the circumstances of the writing is the Apostle Peter was the writer and is confirmed of many similarities between this letter and Peter's sermons in Acts. The name Sylvanius, who also accompanied Paul on the second missionary journey, was his uh, amunisus or secretary. And the place of writing was Babylon, a symbolic name for Rome, which used by writers who wished to avoid trouble with Roman authorities. Peter was in Rome during the last decade of his life and wrote this epistle about A.D. 63, just before the outbreak of Nero's persecution in A.D. 64. Peter, unfortunately, was martyred about 67. Peter himself states the theme of the letter is the true grace of God in the life of the believer. Okay, so now let's read the summary. Again, this letter is from Peter. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's ready to party. Peter is writing to believers in dispersion and also to aliens. They're probably a mix of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in those parts. In any case, it's a pretty diverse group. Now, what does Peter have to tell us? Well, for starters, everything is awesome. God gave the world Jesus, and everyone who believes in him is going to get some sweet rewards. That's the good news. The bad news is that some people are going to have to suffer for their faith. Yeah, it's a bummer, but some good things can come out of it. Namely, those who stay strong will show how amazing Jesus is and how much they love him, proving that's, they're proving that all right. If they do this, they'll be saved. The Bible tells us so. So actually, this is good news. According to Peter, Jewish scriptures talk about the coming of Jesus. What would he do? How would he save the people? Now the Christians are reaping the benefits. Even angels don't get these sweet perks. That means that it's time to get ready. Gird your loins, gents. Don't fall back and start living like you did before you found out about Jesus. Keep the faith and good things will happen, says Peter. God judges everyone by and what they do. So don't get sloppy now. You escape the crazy pagan worship of your ancestors who figured out that idols made of silver and gold could never save you. Only the blood of Jesus could. Now that you know the truth, he says, so your souls are good to go. So love your fellow believers. You're all like newborn babies who get a new chance at living life with God as your dad. Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah and compares people to grass and flowers. Stay with us. Grass and flowers grow, but eventually all plants wither and die. 
just like human beings. On the other hand, God keeps going forever. Well, there's a lot of lessons to that. So I'm going to do now, it's time to read from the Bible. So everybody get out your Bible, and we're turning to 1 Peter. And we read the introduction. And let's go ahead and read the word of God. Salutation, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, um, Bithynia, and who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Grace means security. We're on three now. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed for the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith is being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you may not have seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, and you are greatly rejoiced with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls, prophets in the gospel. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know that person of time, uh, the spirit of Christ within them, indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and these things which now have been announced to you through the, pre- the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Grace means sobriety in holiness. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in the spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace of, brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts that were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One called you, the holy, be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And then in fear, we're on 17 now. If you address this Father, the One, who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you are not redeemed with the perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, is for, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, and he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. We through him are believers in God, 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God and love. Since you have been in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love for one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring order of God. On 24 it says, For all flesh is like grass, and that all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. Wow, I'm just uh, overwhelmed by that chapter. I don't know how you feel about it, but it was amazing. And we just have to learn and follow Jesus. It's the same thing all the time. You know, watch why how we act, put away the bad things and go towards the positive and Jesus will save us. Okay, now I'm going to try to read the notes because they're small. Okay, for one one alien, soldiers and exiled foreign residents. The word applied to those who settled in a town or region without making it their permanent place of residence. The readers who choose citizenship within heaven are viewed as temporary residents of the provinces of Asia Minor, named in this verse. And one, two, the idea expressed in this verse is that God, in his wisdom, has chosen us for salvation through the work of the Holy Spirit, applying in us the word worth of the death of Christ so that we might be obedient to him for knowledge. God's prior knowledge of all things based on his relation to them is the basis of our election. More than passive foresight, for knowledge involves God's active consciousness in all that has come to pass. And then it's his Father's Spirit, Christ, an early formulation of the doctrine of the Trinity. Sprinkled with his blood signifies the personal application of the sacrifice of Christ. And um, <coughs> in one three, it says, here it says, Peter's recital of the blessings of God redeemed children, including uh, concluding it to one. That will be in the next chapter. And it says, uh, unstained by evil will not fade away, and unimpaired by time, perfect tense, indicating that our inheritance has already been put in safekeeping and continues there, and that's what we rely on. And um, we ask in Jesus' name that we understand this the best we can, but we know that Jesus loves us, and we have to do his will, and that, that you know, we carry on for the rest of our life. He promises us an eternal life. So now we're going to read a story. So let's see. Okay. We have a good story from our uh, faithful, ever faithful guidepost. And uh, it's called You Can't Quit Now by Sharon McCullough, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And she writes, I'm a businesswoman who believes in angels, both in the biblical kind and the modern kind that sits behind death. In business, people who back beginners are often called angels, but my angels did more than back me. They rescued me from a catastrophe. Two years ago, my husband, Stephen, faced me across our kitchen table. Sharon, he asked, 
what's going to happen to us? I had just hung up on my mother, crying and sick with worry. She was questioning my recent business decision. Earlier that day, my sister, Joni, had called to give me a rather forceful scolding on the same topic. In two and a half years, I had gone from a lifestyle that included a stable job and savings in the bank to a state of disastrous debt. I had already lost my car and was about to lose our house. I could not even pay the telephone or electric bills. My marriage, in fact, my entire life seemed to be on the brink of collapse. In desperation, I asked God, what should I do? An inner voice replied, you can't quit now. I never dreamed in October 1991 that I would begin exploring how I might become a fashion designer, and I would find myself in such a nightmare. I had been an executive in the computer business, rising to the marketing manager at the Intel Corporation. But I commuted those three hours daily every week and worked too many weekends, and I wanted to have more time to spend with my daughter and husband. I also had a long-running love affair with fabrics and shapes, and growing up poor in a family of seven children, I had bought most of my clothes in the thrift stores and redesigned them. Later, I learned firsthand that no one was making reasonably priced suits for successful women who could wear them to work, and most suits were monotonous in color and design, making their wearers look like would-be men. From the beginning, okay, from the beginning of my working career, I had designed my own suits. Again and again, other businesswomen had asked me where they could buy them. I started by my quest for independence in a sensible way. I consulted experts at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. I spent a year doing market research. I talked to women at conventions. I canvassed department stores. I soon convinced myself and Wharton that my intuition was right. There would be a hole in the market, but no one was making the kind of suits I envisioned. Feminine style without being flashy, made well enough to wear frequently, selling for around 200. So many women I interviewed liked my designs and had I had $50,000 worth of orders before I opened my doors. I quit my job and launched the essential suit. I knew that starting a business would be hard work and I was prepared. I got off to a good start, but when I found out just how hard things would be in the women's suit business, the field was dominated by two huge companies. Everyone else was practically invisible. Department stores hesitate to deal with small fry because of the giants know how to keep the racks full. The buyer in the retail colossus, JCPenney, for instance, I liked my designs but wanted me to install a computerized order system. That was well beyond my resources. I learned banks were even less interested in my startup operation. Lynn Ozer, the loan officer at my neighborhood bank, told me in a nice way I had no collateral, no track record, and as far as she could see, no future. Desperate to finance production, I turned to a uh, I turned to a factor, someone who puts up the money you need. In return, you pay exorbitant interest rates, which eat up all your profits. In 1992, I sold 1,000 suits. The factor agreed to finance me for another year at an interest rate of 1% a week. I had no choice. I had to prove my business was viable. I sold 2,500 suits in '93, adding to a big a few big customers such as Dayton Hudson stores. I vowed to make 1994 the year I escaped from the factor. I found a 
venture capitalist in Pennsylvania who agreed to back the company for $300,000 if we sold a minimum of $250,000 in suits in the sales season. With $150,000 in sales, I again signed a contract with the factory and began production of 3,500 suits. Just as the suits were being manufactured, my backer called to inform me he couldn't raise the working capital. Our contract was in default. Frantic, I mortgaged our house doing more of my savings and borrowed my sister Jeannie's life savings. I still was far short of completing production of 3,500 suits and fulfilling my factoring contract. Soon I was missing mortgage payments. My mother lost faith in me. Jeannie, who had been working as my partner, quit. So did my other partner, my pattern maker. Even my husband, whom I loved since girlhood, started to question my judgment. I couldn't blame them. That's what brought us to the confrontation, confrontation at the kitchen table that day. What would think, when would things turn over? My mother's anguish troubled me the most. In the late 60s, my dad had gone broke trying to become a major player in the cable television business. The blow had wrecked their marriage, leading to a divorce and left my mother as a sole supporter of seven children. She was horrified to see her daughter heading off a similar precipice. Somehow, by the grace of God, I finished shipping all 3,500 suits and closed the factoring contract. The next day, I sat down with a Sunday paper. God, I need an angel of mercy to rescue me from despair. I need a job. I opened the paper, and the first thing I saw was an ad for a computer consultant. The woman who ran the employment agency was an angel in human form. She sat there and calmly while I gave her a brutally honest account of my dilemma frequently interrupting my cast with cascades of tears. Instead of calling me a reckless idiot, she said, don't worry, I'll get you a job. Thanks to her and the wonderful people I consulted, I was able to keep the essential suits alive. We sold out our 1994 line and paid most of our debt. But where could I find the money for my 1995 line? To miss a year in clothing business is as bad as missing a century. We entered a nerve-wracking contest run by Pennsylvania Private Investors Group, which studies 3,000 business plans each year and invites 30 to make presentations to the potential backers. Doesn't that sound like Shark? Essential Suits is one of the 30, but to one was offered up, put up a cent. Excuse me. Essential Suits was one of the 30, but no one offered to put up a cent. Again, I asked God if I should quit. I got the same tough answer. The next day, my telephone rang. It was Lynn Ozer. Her bank had taken over the big, a, by a bigger bank that wanted to lend money to small businesses. Lynn had heard about my PZIG uh, presentation and thought she could help me get a $250,000 working capital loan from the Small Business Administration. With 250000 I could finance a new fall line for 1995 and continue business operations. We filled out most of the paperwork and waited five agonizing months, and then the worst news yet. Because I owed the IRS $2,000 in back taxes, the loan was rejected. I could not believe it. I had worked so hard my whole life, and I had paid my own way through school, and had always thought that God was my friend and supporter. What are you trying to tell me, Lord? I asked. For two days, there was no answer. I began to spiral into despair, and I found myself driving past the bank. Don't quit now, whispered that voice. Was God telling me to make one more effort? I leaped out of the car and charged into the lobby. This is my whole life, I shouted at Lynn. 
I can't take no for an answer. Before my eyes, Lynn Ozer turned to another angel mercy. For the first time in 17 years, she called the SBA and asked them to reconsider the decision. After a few days of stony silence, they said I would get the loan if I paid off the IRS. I begged friends and family and raised the money. When the loan came through, the bank threw a party to help me celebrate. Good things began to happen. My mother and father, who barely spoken to each other more than 10 years, volunteered to help ship those suits in the summer of 94. I think some of their bitterness dissipated in that joint expression of love for me. For the first time, I got to know my father as a person. To help me, Stephen left his job with a computer software maker. He persuaded Philadelphia's Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, one of the best in the nation, to give him a job with a five-year plan to computerize all aspects of their nutritional operations. This enabled him to spend far more time at home, and it turned out to be a major forward in his career. In the 1994, Essential Suits Line sold well. In 1995, J.C. Penney, Federated Department Stores, and major outlets placed hefty orders on our line. We are able to deal with these big stores thanks to another angel, my friend and mentor, Richard Shinechik, who is a CEO at one of the nation's largest makers of men's suits. He has allowed us to use his company's computer and ordering system. We have permanent showroom in New York City, and in the spring of 1995, we hired a group of models for our first fashion show. We let the models take the suits home and match them with skirts and trousers on their own, demonstrating how much confidence we had that our clothes were the kind of flexibility a businesswoman wants. I go to New York twice a week to talk to buyers. The rest of the time I work in Philadelphia, only 10 minutes from home, with time for family. Although Essential Suits is far from out of the woods financially, I have stopped worrying about the future. With the help of God and his angels, I'm sure I can cope now. Wow, that's a dramatic story from a big businesswoman. And we appreciate everything. We appreciate her lesson in her life and our life. So we have to persevere no matter what. So let's close this morning's service with uh, our traditional serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And in closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms so that you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. Remember, you're never alone. None of us are. God loves you. I love you. And may your best dreams come true. And true love, you find that true love that you belong with, then you find true love in your heart. Message me with any concerns, requests for prayers, or if you just want to talk about something. Bye, my friends. Happy trails with you. God bless you in every way. Have a beautiful day. Be happy no matter what. Chin up. Love you. Bye-bye.
Let's go. 